even though you watch it on you can get a podcast right if i if I remember to record it okay <laughs> so we are in Hosea chapter eleven today for all those people listening on on podcast for us, and so I don't know about you, but Hosea has just been so enlightening. For me, I, has it been that way for you? It's just so encouraging that when you read through it, and just so there's just so much joy going on in the book of Hosea. Uh, no, no, that's not what we've been seeing, is it? That's not what we've been seeing. Well, I've been going through the book of Deuteronomy on my daily time, and I'm like, okay, so I'm already depressed. Then I get to Hosea, and I'm reading through it, and I'm like, now I'm more depressed. But we have finally turned the corner. So in your handout, and you guys should know this because we've went through this several times, the outline of Hosea is this. Chapter 1 through 3, we were talking about Gomer, which was Hosea's wife. So it was an unfaithful, what goes in your blank? Wife. Wife. Gomer was an unfaithful wife to Hosea. Now, that seems like that's been years since we talked about that to me. And it's just been, you know, maybe a month or so. But that was chapters 1 through 3. And then in chapters 4 through 7, we see an unfaithful nation, nation Israel, or you can put Ephraim, you can put the ten northern tribes. All of those fit in that blank. An unfaithful Israel, basically, to a faithful God. And we saw, you know, in chapters 1 through 3 with Gomer and Hosea, he was using them as an example of how he felt with, with uh, the nation of Israel. And, and I, I've said this before, how would you like to have been Hosea? Thanks God for using me as an example. <laughs> you know? And yet maybe God does. I don't, I'm sure he does. And I'm sure he does in our life, because we go through bad situations in our life so we can help other people, and other people see us going through that, and they'll see how we react. Your grandkids will see that. Your kids will see that. Your neighbors will see that. I mean, it'll be, as, it'll be something simple, and, and I may have said this before. I'm getting older, and I think I'm repeating myself all the time. I remember working on some calves. We took them to the vet, and they're 400-pound calves, and we're running them through the chute, and one of them kicked me in the thigh. And I mean, it hurt. I almost wanted to cry, and I did not say a word. We finished up with the calves. We got them loaded, and the vet was an old, crusty old vet. And he goes, I just have one thing to say. I go, what's that? He goes, how come you didn't say anything when that calf kicked you? Because I know that hurt. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm, I've never, I've not always been, you know, a perfect example. There's been times when I've opened my mouth and said bad words. But for some reason, I just decided not to that day. And he noticed. And I still remember that, I think, because it hurt. And God's probably saying, I'm going to teach you something here, Bob, and you're going to remember this. Oh, man, I had a bruise. It was bad. But, I mean, God takes us through things. People will watch us, and they're going to watch how we react. Okay, so God does that with Hosea to show him how he feels. He was uh, the life example. And then chapters 8 through 10, 
What do you think goes in your blank? The blank of Israel for their sins. What have we been going through for the last almost month in here? It's the judgment of Israel. So we're seeing all the things that God's going to do for them. Now, who was here last week? I don't know if anybody... Carrie was here last week. Okay. Last week was the climax of the judgment because we were on chapter 10. And let me tell you how bad it was. I'll sum it up. God tells them, I am disgusted with you guys. I'm going to kill you. And I'm going to kill your kids. That's basically what he said last week in chapter 10. And if you don't believe me, go back and read it. He goes, he's, he's done. He goes, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to kill your kids too. I'm going to just wipe you guys out. Well, I'm glad he doesn't always keep, do what... He changes, God changes his mind sometimes with his kids because he gets really frustrated with them, but yet he never ever totally destroys them even though they probably need it. Merciful and grace. He's yeah. grace. And so this week we're going to see him start to get a little bit more. We see some hope for Israel. Last week when you're reading chapter 10, it's like, oh man, there is no hope for these people. They are done. And yet this week we're going to see him kind of round the corner here. And so we see that in chapters 11 through 14, which we're starting this week, is the restoration of Israel. Now, that still doesn't mean there's going to be a whole group of people that get judged and pay for the judgment. It's going to be death because they, didn't, they did not obey God, but God is not going to wipe them completely out. God always has His faithful few. He always does. And so God is not going to completely wipe out Israel because they're His kids. He, will, he always is going to try to get restoration. God always pushes for restoration and that's what we need to do with people and I have some people that I have probably basically cut off out of my life but you know if they came to me and said hey let's let's see if we can work on this I'd ha- if I do what's Christian if I do what's biblical and I, if I do what God wants me to do I'd, I'd have to sit down and go okay let's work through it mm-hmm. but you know sometimes if people don't want to have restoration there's not anything you can do about it But God is going to start to have the mind of restoring Israel and where we're at in chapter 11. So let's go ahead and read chapter 11. I've got to get to the right book here. Before we start that, I think you need to have Hosea chapter 11 there rather than 1. That's probably true. That was a typo. You know when I typed this up last night? It was about 11 o'clock, Sharon. So uh, that was a proof I didn't get. So thank you for noticing that. Now I did go through my spelling to see, make sure I had that. Now I've got to go through all my little chapters to make sure I got it. Hosea chapter 11. And let's just read this and we'll go back through it. It says, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. And as they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed unto Balaam. Well, I bet that wasn't very nice or good to God. And burned incense to graven images. Right off the bat, okay? Verse 3, I taught Ephraim also to go, taking them by their arms, but they knew not that I healed them. So again, Ephraim is another name we could have put up here for, for Israel because they're the biggest tribe of the ten northern 
kingdoms. And a lot of times he'll just use Ephraim instead of the ten northern tribes or Israel. It's the same group. Okay, And he goes, I taught Ephraim also to go, taking them by their arms, but they knew not that I healed them. I drew them with cords of a man, with bands of love, and I was to them as they that take off the yoke on their jaws, and I laid meat unto them. Verse 5, And he shall not return into the land of Egypt, but the Assyrian shall be his king, because why? They refused to return. They refused to return to God. That's what it was. So they're not going back to Egypt. They're going to Assyria because the Assyrian is going to come in. And then we know that that happens in just a few years after this book is written. Verse six: And the sword shall not abide in his cities, and shall consume his branches and devour them because of their own counsels. And my people are bent to backsliding from me. Though they called them to the Most High, none at all would exalt him. How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? How shall I deliver thee, Israel? How shall I make thee as Adma? How shall I set thee as Zeboam? Now let me stop here for just a minute. This isn't in my notes. But do you know what the, what Adma and Zeboam is? There are two cities that was destroyed along with Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay? So he goes, how can I make you like them? How can I make you like Sodom and Gomorrah? You're my children. How can I do that? Mine heart is turned with me in me. My repentings are kindled together. So again, so far, nothing good. Everything's kind of still on the downward slope. And verse 9 says, I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. That's the first place where we see God is going to lighten up on him. He says, I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. I will not return to destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not man. There you go, right there. You want to know why God is so long-suffering? Because He's God. He's God. For I am God and not man. Oh, we could spend a lot of time on that. I am the Holy One in the midst of thee. I will not enter into the city. Verse 10. They shall walk after the Lord. Who's the they there? It's Israel. Now, wait a minute. They shall walk after the Lord. That's completely different than what we've seen so far. It's just, it's just like doom and gloom, doom and gloom, judgment, and then all of a sudden, God starts to what I call lighten up a little bit, and he starts to show some hope here for the people of Israel. Verse 10 says, They shall walk after the Lord, and he shall roar like a lion. When he shall roar, then the children shall tremble from the west, and they shall tremble as a bird out of Egypt, and as a dove out of the land of Assyria, and I will place them in their houses, saith the Lord." Ephraim compasseth me about with lies in the house of Israel with deceit, but Judah yet ruleth with God and is faithful with the saints. Well, at this point, Judah hasn't fallen into captivity. They're still following the Lord somewhat, but the nation of, of Israel, the ten northern tribes, are pretty well done. You know, put a fork in them, they're done, they're going into captivity, but it's not going to be total destruction. So we're seeing some light at the end of the tunnel. So uh, in your handout there, 
We're seeing God's love for Israel in verses 1 through 7. And B, it says God, and you have two blanks. God loves Israel as a son. Okay? Now, so far, think back with me. Let's look in verse 1 and see what God compares uh, Israel to. He compares them when Israel was a child. child. So he compares them. Let me get my thing here. Israel to a child. Then what does he compare them to? Keep going. And he called my son. And he compares them to a son. Okay. So at the very beginning of the book of Hosea, what does he compare Israel to? Uh, Who was Gomer supposed to be a picture? Who was Gomer a picture of? A wife. So at the beginning of the book, he compares the northern tribes, the tribe of Israel, to a wife. And then he compares them to a child. He compares them to a son. Okay? So it's interesting how we see these things. So God is comparing his children as a family, basically, when you look at it. Okay? And so he compares them to a son. And it says, and he says, Verse 1, and called my son out of Egypt. Have you all heard that or seen that phrase before in the Bible? Okay, well, I'm, we're going to look at it. Exodus. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4, verse 22 and 23. That doesn't look like the right one. Yes, it is. I got to get to the right verse. Rex, you want to read 22 and 23? Thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. Okay, so he compares them back there to the nation. And he calls them his son. Okay, so we see that in a, in a corporate sense. Okay, so that's one way. But, under the next line you have there under D, it says Jesus is also called God's Son. And in fact, let's go there, Matthew 2.15, because Matthew 2.15 is a requote of Hosea. Okay? So let's get there and look at that. Matthew 2.15 says... And well, let's back up to verse 14. When, when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and he parted into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod. So we're talking about who? Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. And was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. 
That's a quote of Hosea. Okay? Uh, back to Hosea. So Jesus is called God's son, and he's called that, not only is he a son, but he is uh, a begotten son. Now, can anybody tell me what begotten, a definition of begotten means? Because we make a big deal out of it. Jesus is God's, not, not only is he his son, he's his only begotten son. Well, Have you ever thought about that? Maybe because he was born of a virgin? Okay, but begotten, the definition of begotten, and that's certainly true, is only born... Or one and only. That's a good definition of begotten. So, um, because we are also called a son of God. We're also born a son of God. But we are not a begotten son of God. The begotten is like, it was, it was basically referring to Jesus being born, but yet Jesus was God being born flesh. Okay? So, it's a little different sense. So, he compares the nation of Israel as a son in a corporate national sense, but he calls his own son, Jesus, a begotten son also in the sense that he is God. Okay? Um, now, turn over in your Bible to John 1. And if you want to study that out a little farther, which, which would be a really good study on the begotten side, is uh, because we're basically talking about Jesus is God. Okay? So John 1.18 is a reference. And let's read that. It says, No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. So another place... Who knows another place where it says that Jesus is a begotten son? Anything ringing your bell? Okay, great. That's what I wanted, I wanted to hear. Okay, John 3.16. That's why I ask you guys questions, because a lot of times you guys already know where I'm going. So I feel like I'm just speaking to the choir. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So what does the begotten mean? His one and only he is only born. So, Israel was called God's son in a corporate sense, but yet Jesus is called God's son in a, I put begotten sense, or you can just say godly sense, a more personal, a personal sense, yes. So, we have a corporate, we have, so we have two different things that are called a son, okay? And so... Um, Interesting. Interesting. And, and I like the fact that Hosea, that quote in Hosea 11, is in Matthew. It's the same verse. Okay. What did you say B and C are? Uh, I said B is God, I mean, I've not said it, God loves Israel as a son. God is called Israel's blank. Israel is called, Israel is called God's son. 
And Jesus is called God's Son. Okay? Alright. So, <laughs> okay. Well, it's probably your teacher not getting it across to you. So, God taught Israel... Let's go to the next blank, and I'll just give them to you, and we'll go back and look at it. God taught Israel to walk. God, and then your next blank is God healed them. God fed them. And then God also judges them. So we see that here back in our text in Hosea, chapter 11. Let's go back and look at it. Okay, hang on just a minute till I get to where I want to go. Let's just start back in verse 3. He says, I taught Ephraim also to go, taking them by their arms. What, what does that mean when it says he took them by the arms? It's like you take a little baby by the arms and you help them to walk. He's given you the personal details of the relationship that he has with the nation of Israel. He says, I taught Ephraim also to go, taking them by their arms, but they knew not that I healed them. I drew them with cords of a man, with the bands of love, and I was with them that take off the yoke on their jaws, and I laid meat unto them. He's training them up. He's, 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 you know, rearing them up and he's comparing them to a small child, which again, he does in our passage here. He calls Israel his son. He goes, I was there at the beginning. I grabbed, you know, I, I taught you how to walk. I, I fed you. I, I've done everything for you guys. It's basically what he's telling them. But then he, and then he says, let me see. He, and then he has to judge them. And he goes, uh, I laid meat in them, verse 4. He shall not return to the land of Egypt, but the Assyrian shall be his king because they refuse to return. So the Assyrian is going to be their king because they refuse to obey what God said. So he's going to judge them also. And I find it very interesting. It, it, it always links. Here's another link here with Egypt and Assyria. We have Egypt and Babylon. They are connected. You cannot get away from it. Of the two times that Israel has been in bondage, who's it been to? Pharaoh in Egypt and either Assyria or Babylon in the same area. Because the Babylons took over the Assyrians. Same, same country, same everything. Okay, So God taught Israel. He goes, I taught you from a child up. How to be, how basically to be a man. I, I taught you how to walk. I've fed you. I've done everything for you. And yet you've went against me and I've had to judge you. So what is the first blank on D? On D? Walk. Or E? D. Walk. D is? Walk. Okay. Okay, because okay. I didn't hear what you said. <laughs> okay, so the first one is walk. I may have my, my notes a little out of whack, but okay. And so if you want to study, and we're running out of time today, but I want you to write down the Song of Moses. Deuteronomy. So, but guess what? There's two Songs of Moses. One Song of Moses is in Exodus chapter 15. 
So you can write that down. Exodus chapter 15. And the other one is in Deuteronomy 32. And I, I wish I had a little more time. In fact, we may go there in a minute if I have enough time. But the one in Exodus 15 is when they just got through the Red Sea and they saw Pharaoh and his army drown. God gives them a song and it's a happy song. <laughs> okay, That's their happy song because they're talking about what God has done for them. And in 32, it's the reverse of it. It's like, a song of what happens when they disobey God. There's, so there's two songs of Moses. And so that's what we've been seeing through the book here and through all the books is when they obey God, everything is good. And when they go against God and when they do false worship and they worship false idols and they go against everything he says, then, then God's going to judge them just like a good parent should. Okay. So, so we're all the way up to uh, point one. Or This is actually point two. Another typo is God's forbearance. So God's forbearance and his long-suffering are are incredible. And he says in verses 8 through 12, how can I give Israel up? Even though they need to be destroyed, how can I do that? Okay. And so how can God deliver them up? Because they are his children. Okay, So God will not execute the fierceness of his anger that he talks about. And God will not return to destroy them. For God says that he is God and he is not man. We read that earlier. Let me go back and read that again just for context. He says, I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. I will not return to destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not man. The Holy One in the midst of thee, and I will not enter into the city. So, and then it goes into some things that are going to take place later, but they're they're a prophecy. Because he says, they shall walk after the Lord, he shall roar like a lion, and when he shall roar, then the children shall tremble from the west. I'm sure there's some prophetical uh, application there. And they shall tremble as a bird out of Egypt, and as a dove out of the land of Assyria. Again, Egypt and Assyria. You cannot miss it. And he likens them to a bird out of those places. And I will place them in their houses, saith the Lord. Prophetically, that took place when Ezra and the people went back, when Cyrus let them go back to a degree. But it has not been fully put in in place, and it will not be until the tribulation when God puts them back in the land, and puts them back in their houses under safety. So that will take place coming up. Because it says, God's not going to return, because God says, "My, I am God and not man. And uh, let's turn over to Isaiah 55, so which just gives us a little bit more info here. Isaiah chapter 55, 8 and 9. says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, if, if God was a man, he would have wiped Israel out long ago. But yet he gave them some promises. But not only that, he loves them as, as a parent loves a child. Okay? And it says here, they 
So God will not return to destroy Ephraim. That goes in your blank, under your uh, bullet point there. The key with God is always restoration. He always wants restoration. But as a good parent, he's going to have to judge. But he still wants restoration, okay? And then the next blank is, They, Israel, shall walk after the Lord. I just talked about that. And they shall tremble as a bird. And God will place them in their homes. Now we're in Isaiah. We're not too far off. Turn over to Jeremiah 32. Now, if you want another book that goes right along with Hosea, you can study Jeremiah because it's basically the same thing talking to the, to the two southern tribes a hundred years after Hosea. Almost identical. He goes through the same things, and guess what they do? They get carried into captivity because they do the same things that the northern tribe does. So, um, I told you to go to Jeremiah 32. And let's have somebody read 37 and 38. Yes. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries, whether I have driven them in mine anger and in my fury and in great wrath. And I will bring them again unto this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. So even even Israel as 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 sinful as they are and, as, and all the things that happen to them, God still wants restoration. He's going to bring that back. So, so you know, you, you, can't, you cannot stop God from His plan. You, you may not be a part of His plan, but God's plan will always prevail. And so God will place them back in their homes. So He's going to restore Israel. And I, I was tr- trying to think about this this week. What, what does God really want from us? And so I learned a principle in this movie that I was watching. And it's a movie about a dog by the name of Togo. Has anybody seen this movie? Has anybody seen a movie about a dog named Balto? Yes. Okay, so you've seen that. So it, it's about this Siberian husky who's part of a dog sled. Okay, so Balto came out a few years ago. Well, Balto was the, was the one at the end of the dog race, and he got all the credit, but really the one behind it is this dog named Togo. So let me read you just a little bit about this dog Togo here, because I have a principle I'm trying to point out. So let me tell you who he is. Togo was the lead sled dog of a, of a musher by the name of Leonard Cipolla, and his dog sled team in the 1925 serum run to Nome across central and northern Alaska. Okay, so despite covering a far greater distance than any other of the lead dogs on the run, uh, over some this dog Togo ran over some of the most dangerous parts of the trail. His role was left out of contemporary news of the event of the time in favor of the lead dog for the last for the last dog of the relay by the dog's name of Balto, whom Cipolla was the dog breeder and the musher, he also bred that dog. So he actually had several dogs in this team. So anyway, there's a man named Cipolla, 
and I'm butchering his name, who, who raised dog sleds, dog, dogs that did dog sleds. Okay, so apparently there is some kind of a metal condition in the city of Nome back in the early 1900s, and they needed some medicine. So they brought some medicine up from Anchorage to a place, and they couldn't get it the last 300 miles, so it went from dog sled to Nome, Alaska, to the people that needed this serum. Well, there was a dog in this by the name of Togo that just went, I mean, he was an incredible dog. He was the most favorite dog that this guy, the dog breeder, ever had, and the best dog he ever had. And so this dog, and I watched this movie about this guy, this dog named Togo. It's one of these, you know, kind of Alaskan iron wheel type movies. And this dog from a puppy would not stay in the kennel. Every time the man was outside, this dog would get out of the kennel. Every time this dog saw the man, he had to be with him. Every time the, the man went on a sled ride or was, was training his dogs, this dog would dig under the kennel, go over the top of the kennel, break the door down, do whatever he could. Well, anyway, he, this guy, he hated this dog. He hated him with a passion. He finally gave him away to a guy because he was such a pain. And the guy brought him back and says, I don't want your dog. He's too big of a problem. Well, anyway, he ended up being the lead dog to the sled team. Basically because the wife liked this dog. He would have probably shot him if his wife hadn't liked him because he was just a pain. So he became this famous sled dog. And he and the owner said he saved his life over and over. I could read you the story of what this dog did. And he didn't get the credit Balto did because he was the last one on the deal. But anyway, after after this this big uh, medicine run, when the owner and and this particular dog, dog Togo and the team got back, he told his wife, he goes, I think I've ran the dog to death. I don't think he's going to recover from this. He goes, I actually think I've ran him too hard. But again, if they hadn't ran as hard as they did, they would have froze to death. They wouldn't have made it to where they needed to go. They just wouldn't have made it. They wouldn't have lived. So at the end, he goes, I don't know what I'm going to do with this dog because he's still alive, but he doesn't have the strength to, to pull the sled now. He's, he's basically you know, wasted. His, his, his life is used up. He, he's not in a condition to run anymore. And I don't know how he's going to do it because he lives to go on the sled team. And then the guy made a statement that just blew my mind. He goes, but you know what? I found out that it wasn't that Togo wanted to be on the sled, chasing, you know, leading the sled. He goes, he wanted to be with me. That's all he ever wanted was to be with me. He didn't want to be... On, on the dog sled races, the lead dog, just because that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to be with me wherever I was. And I sat there and I'm thinking, that's what God wants me to be like. Mm-hmm. And actually, that's kind of how God is with us. He created us to worship Him. He created us for fellowship. And it's not anything that we do. I mean, he wants us to worship him. He wants us to do what's right. But God really doesn't care what we do for a living. He wants the fellowship. And that's how we need to be with him. Now, I don't want to say I learned everything I needed to know about worshiping God from a dog. But I mean, I mean it's like that when the guy said that, he goes, he, he didn't live to be on the sled team. He lived to be with me. 
And I'm like, that's the attitude we need to have. Israel did not have that attitude. They lost it. God still has it. Because he didn't want, he has to judge them because they're doing false idols, but he wants them to come back. And so again, it's the fellowship. It's the being with somebody. It's what God wants from us, and it's what we should be with God. He really wants us to be dependent upon Him. And the problem is, we want to be independent. Right. He wants our dependence. And the fact we live in the United States where we have that, we can do it, pull ourselves up from this. From, that, that's good to have, but you still got to have God ahead of that. Okay? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, God does call, consider Israel to be family. He really does. He doesn't want to destroy them. They destroyed them. He had to judge them, but he's not going to kill. He's not going to wipe them out. He's going to bring them back. So, in cha- next week in chapter uh, twelve, we'll see a little more about how, what God's going to do to restore them. So, hopefully, we learned something this week. I know I did. So, uh, <laughs> why don't we? We'll just stop and go from there. Father in heaven, we just thank you for loving us. Lord, help us to be uh, like this. Uh, uh, like this dog that he just wanted to be with his owner, Lord. That should be us. And Lord, I pray that each one of us would have a relationship with you that we just desperately want and need to be with you, to be worshiping you, to be a part of you, a part of your plan, to be doing what you're saying. And that that also goes back to being obedient to you, Lord. Help us to have that attitude of just loving you the way we should. And Lord, because we know you love us. So I pray for that. Help us to be able to share that love to other people around us. Help us to share the love that we have for you with the people around us so that they can see Christ in us. So we pray for that. And I pray for this week. I pray for the people we're praying for. Uh, uh, Just guide and protect them and get them back to health. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, it's not like God didn't know that Israel was going <laughs> to pull away from him, you know. Well, you read the book of Deuteronomy and it's all laid out.